Welcome to the Drag and Drop Show, where we explore how practicing empathy transforms how we do business and live our lives. I'm your host, Andra Zaharia, a fellow podcast listener and creator. This season, I'm on a journey with Bannersnack to discover how leading women around the world use empathy to connect and do work that matters. Join us to find out how to drag and drop small acts of empathy into our daily lives to make it more rewarding for us and those around us. Tiffany De Silva is a highly accomplished digital marketer with an infectious laugh and incredible energy. What makes her even more fascinating is that she started experimenting with SEO tactics when she was nine years old and had no idea that SEO or e-commerce were even a thing. Her first online store sold shaving products, so imagine the puzzling reaction her parents had when they found out. About a decade later, Tiffany took those skills and ventured into startup land. Since then, she's worked on over 500 websites and helped 50 different small businesses and more, and startups to grow incredibly fast. As a driven doer, Tiffany didn't stop there. She went on to create her own product called Flojo. Now, her goal with Flojo is to create tools that inspire, educate, and entertain other doers so that their positive impact ripples throughout companies and communities. Most of all, Tiffany talks to the voice inside our heads that sometimes tells us we're not doing enough or maybe that we are not enough. So I've watched her talk from Learn Inbound 2018 over a dozen times, um, and each time I'm reminded about the power of empathy and practicing it as self-compassion. So Tiffany, it's fantastic to have you here And I wanted to start with a question uh, that goes a bit like this. When did empathy make the biggest impact on your life? Oh, empathy is, it's kind of weird. I have a weird relationship with empathy because um, I recently found out uh, through some reading about highly sensitive people um, that I actually might have too much, (laughs) but it's not necessarily too much for myself. It's actually too much for other people. Uh, so it is, it's a complicated relationship. A lot of the times I, when I look at different people and when I, uh, managing different people, I see, you know, every side to, you know, why they could be upset, why they're not doing well, why, you know, and those things kind of keep me up at night and, you know, I can be speaking on a stage and I'll zone in on someone in the audience and I can spend weeks afterwards wondering if I help them or not. Uh, so it's a little bit sometimes debilitating, but it also gives me kind of a unique quality. Uh, on the other hand, though, empathy for myself is something that I have struggled with a lot. Uh, I think, and it's the reason why I started to really look into imposter syndrome, and especially after kind of getting so burnt out uh, at one point because I was trying. I was trying to please everyone. Uh, I was seeing everyone and all their like issues and what made them, you know, maybe they were mean to me, but I would, you know, tell myself it's okay because they're going through this thing and that's why they're mean and it's not their fault. But meanwhile, I wasn't giving myself, you know, uh, the same kind of treatment and going, you know what, you deserve better. You should be speaking up for yourself. You should be, you know, uh, being compassionate to yourself and giving yourself some time. So yeah, it's, it's, 
it's a kind of a weird feeling to be in, in between the two. And I, I don't know. I think everyone has various uh, degrees of the empathy towards others and empathy uh, towards themselves. I think um, you have the people who are on the other side of the spectrum where it's like, you know what? I am amazing. I am great. And sometimes, but they don't have empathy for others. Uh, then you have the people who have too much empathy for others um, and they don't have empathy for themselves. And then hopefully there are people in between that have found that great balance uh, who I hope are listening today and know that they're doing all right. Cause they kind of have a mixture of two. And that's where I think I struggle and really work hard to be uh, in the middle of in that balance between the two. I actually, I, I think I understand myself. I, I think I have kind of that shared sensitivity towards others as well. Um, and I didn't realize it until quite late in my life. And I was wondering if you had a trigger moment or at some point when you realized that this is, this can be actually sort of a burden uh, and something that takes a lot of willpower and energy to kind of manage. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually, I for years, I had had people tell me when they met me, you know, if I were you, I would read the book, Highly Sensitive Person. You should read it. It's amazing. Like, it's totally you. It's what I think about when I when you say certain things. And I was like, no, 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 I'm okay. Uh, and then I think it was last year. Uh, yeah, it was last year. I was um, having like a tough year, kind of took a couple of days off, went on vacation and decided, of course, during like the, probably the most stressful time of my life, I'm going to pick up this book and I'm going to open it up and read it because I was feeling very bogged down by kind of other people's uh, like feeling for other people and not enough for myself. And it was a little bit earth shattering, uh, to be honest. It was, you know, it, it's, I'm sure it's the kind of feeling that you feel like when, you know, you're, you find out that you may have a mental illness, but it's kind of like a good feeling where you're like, okay, I'm glad that I know this and I'm aware. But on the other side, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, I don't like, what am I supposed to do with this information? And so some of the stuff that uh, in the book that it said was, you know, people who are highly sensitive aren't able to watch movies. Movies are really uncomfortable for them because too, it's too much of an emotional roller coaster. And that's something I've said my whole life. I can't watch it, or you have to tell me what emotions. It's not about the end result. Just tell me what emotions I'm going to feel. Am I going to cry? Am I going to be angry? Am I going to be this? Um, or it's about, you know, I would see people go through breakups, and I would go through breakups, but for some reason, it always seemed so much harder for me um, to get over things. Uh, and I thought that was just, you know, me not being tough enough or resilient enough or confident enough, but really it was cause I feel emotions a bit differently. And so walking in a room and starting to realize then that there are, that you see the world in energies from other people and that could drain you sometimes, or that can really like get you really hyped up. But just starting to talk to people and ask them certain questions, finding out that some people have it, like they don't have it as deep as I do. It's almost like, you know, you can sometimes people can see energies and colors and, and those types of things. But like, I, I feel it so deeply when I'm in a, when I'm on a stage, I can actually, as I'm talking, I can feel that, you know, someone on the right hand side is like, they have a certain energy and I end up looking to them and looking, trying to find them. And I thought everyone did that. So at the, it made me a little bit scared because some of the things that it said was that it was hard to have, you know, um, personal relationships. It was hard to like not get hurt really badly. It was hard. It was all these kind of like, uh, 
things that I just didn't really want to accept. Um, and it, I spent the last year really looking into it, joining groups, um, like Reddit groups and stuff with people who are also highly sensitive, um, talking to different, uh, people who teach about it, therapists who focus on highly sensitive people, because I just, um, I wanted to understand it a bit more. And, uh, now that I know it's kind of, it's a weird, you know, as people say, do you have like a superhero kind of <laughs> like that? That is that I feel like it is, but it's also a kryptonite. Uh, like you have to know what your kryptonite is. And um, I've become a lot more aware. Um, but in that, I've also become a lot more um, compassionate um, and given myself permission sometimes to not do social functions or to not talk to certain people who make me now I can feel that anxiety and know what it is. Whereas before I would just kind of like, uh, you know, put it down. So yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster kind of learning and going on the other side. I don't know if it was the same <laughs> for you. I'm actually, first of all, super interested in reading that book and, and kind of, uh, there are so many kind of strings I want to pull at here in everything that <laughs> you've told me. I think it's fantastic to have this level of awareness uh, I do understand because I have a couple of sensitive people around me and I feel like I, I actually discovered the concept of high sensitivity in children and adults by reading Quiet by Susan yeah. McCain. Uh, and she talks a bit about that and that explains so many things for me in the context of introversion um, and how we actually define all these things and how we learn to name them and how we learn to uh, kind of peel away at their nuances and figure out which one fits uh, our case. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's very interesting to hear you talk uh, from this perspective, because I think that it gives us an insight uh, into our own self-reflection and our own level of awareness. Plus, um, it really changes, it, it, it helps connect. And I think that that's joining groups basically is... Uh, proof of empathy towards others and towards yourself as well, because these kind of groups are built exactly on that, on on practicing that empathy and creating that bridge so don't we don't feel alone in whatever particular thing that challenges us um, more than it does others. Um, mm -hmm. And I find I think that you're incredibly brave to to be able to talk about all this in such detail and with such clarity so i'm really excited to to have this <laughs> conversation and, and learn all these things from you so you've told me that you see all these emotions in people and i was curious because you work with so many entrepreneurs and you work also with a lot of data-driven insights and trying to make objective decisions as a marketer how does that impact your work how does it enable your work and how have you learned to to manage it in the context of um something that should have a high dose of of objectivity like decisions business decisions usually do it actually surprises people because um i am so kind of focused on other people's emotions and so i think uh, heightened uh, and aware about uh, when people make choices that are very emotionally packed versus data-driven. Um, I think people sometimes will find that I am very almost cutthroat about decisions that I make uh, because I'll say something, so people will be like, you know, there's all this information, like anecdotal information that, you know, this is what people think, this is what 
people do. Uh, and I think that you should apply that to your business, like for Flojo for me. And I'll look at it and go like, no, I mean, the data is not there. We don't have enough information right now. And people will be like, but, but like, I, I read these articles. Like, how come? And I'm just like, no, I, I, I won't. I won't do it because I know how I think the, how feelings and emotions can almost take you over and make you allow you to make these like bad decisions as a result um, that I really try to make my decisions when it comes to marketing or professional decisions be very tied to data. And there's always going to be qualitative data that we look at. I think qualitative data is really important when we're trying to understand, you know, the words that people are using to describe feelings and the, um, the way that the places that they're going maybe to find uh, your product or or how they came about your product. You're learning about the journey. But when it comes to the cold hard, who is buying, uh, why they're buying, I need data and I need statistical data to make those decisions. So I think that that's it's almost surprising for people when they see that, like they're expecting me to be a lot more uh, empathetic to like, like in the way of listening to them about their opinions on certain things uh, when it comes to my business. But you have to have like, a, like almost like a line of where you won't cross because if, because then if I open up that floodgate of allowing other people to listen to all their you know ideas and what they think, and I could, get carried away completely and lose sight of my business as a result. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a fine balance. I think. I think it's super interesting how you actually use this, this ability, this heightened ability and you use it as a, a tool, although it sounds very limitative, but you use it as a tool to actually help increase your clarity instead of cloud it as most people would think it works because that's the surprising I think that's the surprising power of self-awareness and of working with this thing, these things and going to therapy and talking to coaches and uh, kind of broadening and deepening our understanding of um, abstract concepts that we usually work with in this in everything that concerns emotions and thoughts and reactions. Uh, and actually using all of this body of knowledge to become actually more rooted in our decisions and see further. I think that is absolutely fascinating. And I don't think it's something that uh, people think of in, as a trigger, as a mental habit. One of the things I actually do in that case, uh, so when you meditate, uh, one of the things you learn how to do through meditation is body scanning. So you scan from the top of your head to the bottom um, of your feet and you look for areas that feel anxious or feel like it just feels different. You know, you don't judge it. You just say, okay, this part of my body feels different as a result. Uh, maybe you can feel the pain in your feet from being sore. Maybe you feel like a little bit of tightness in your chest or uh, some people uh, feel a lot of stress like in their shoulders, whatever it is. But I use that when someone's giving, especially information about my company, or information about something that I hold really close to me, I really become aware of how my body is reacting. Uh, and that's the moments when I actually tell my brain goes like, stop and like check. Because I think that sometimes our reaction has a, it depends on where it's coming from. So if someone is telling me something that I don't, that just like what makes me want to scream or makes me want to instantly say no, I kind of say, okay, if it's coming from my chest, and if it's like that kind of like weird tightness, it's it's almost like 
it's not coming from a good place, right? The words that I'm about to say aren't coming from a good place. I need to like take a breath, kind of think it through. And sometimes I'll have to say, you know what, let me think that over. I'll get back to you once that feeling goes away. Um, or sometimes it's just like, and that's when I do the data move. Uh, until I see data, I can't make that decision. And sometimes even when people inspire you, you know, you get that feeling someone's inspiring you. You want to just jump up and make these like rash decisions because they really sold you on something. I, it's the same thing. I have to stop and go, okay, calm yourself for a bit. Like, did you want to do this 10 minutes ago? Uh, and now you're all fired up to do it. Like, wait a day. Like, write it down, wait a day, see if it, I do the 30-day test even when I buy things. If I watch something and it gets me really excited, I have to write it on something for 30 days because I will instantly regret my purchase <laughs> if I spontaneously buy it. But it's it's really being aware of what your body is saying and where it's saying it, I think. And that's, it's a hard, and it's not something that even with me comes easily. It was something through meditation that took years to kind of hone in on. It reminds me of uh, our conversation reminds me of the conversation I had with Kelly Moore, where she was saying, and I noticed this in you and many, oh, well, most, or if not all of the people that I admire and look up to and have learned a lot from, it's that you've invested a lot of time and effort into cultivating all these abilities uh, and into understanding uh, what empathy is and how you can actually practice it without um reaching that level of generosity burnout that happens as well. And that that's very difficult for people who have this tendency to be people pleasers, but not in that doesn't have any negative, uh, let's say connotation for me because it's just something that stems from well previous experiences and so on. So uh, I, I often find myself in, in, in that role and I'm trying to educate myself and I'm lucky that I get this opportunity to better understand how this works for other people as well. Um, I'm very curious if you, how you actually, so you're, you're very good at connecting with everyone that you speak to. And I think that you have this ability to do the same online, which is something that's, in my opinion, very rare. Although we're so used to consuming all kinds of content and people try to strive to make it super authentic and very uh, try to capture that real life, I'm very curious um, if you feel a difference on your side. Because from where I'm standing on on the outside, I feel like I can connect with you the same, no matter the channel, no matter if you're tweeting or uh, if I see a talk of yours or anything else like that. But how is it for you? How is it on your side? How do you perceive that energy that comes towards you throughout all these channels? It's actually something I battle with a lot. Uh, one of the reasons why I don't write a lot of content uh, is I wait for the time when I'm most inspired to write it because I can't just put something out there or I instantly feel that, you know, embarrassment, shame, inauthenticity inauthenticity i think really bothers me um it bothers me in others it bothers me in myself and so i always try to make sure that what i'm putting out there is real um but with that i also have to remember that a lot of that takes away energy from me uh so it can burn me out that generosity kind of that you were talking about um i do get depleted from doing so. So it's about really time blocking 
myself on, you know, when I'm going to be on social media, I kind of do all channels at once. It's, you know, put it all out there, but it's usually like at night or like at lunchtime. So that it's times when I don't necessarily, it's almost like a nice way of kind of just getting that out there. Um, I also have rules uh, for myself. Like I, I've recently put in a lot of rules that, you know, and I'm always learning and it's not, uh, I mean, they're ever changing, but, you know, don't put anything out there into the world that you would later regret. Um, so try not to write in anger. Um, I mean, I've done it when I'm trying to get a company's, <laughs> I'm trying to get a company's attention. Like I've been calling you a bunch of times. Like I just did it recently <laughs> with an airline, but like, other than that, when I'm, I want to put for every, you know, one, maybe angry tweet I do, there should be like a hundred happy ones. Um, so making sure that I'm constantly kind of focused on that. And also, you know, in a lot of times when I'm trying to, if someone has reached out to me to tell me something about themselves, that's, personal and, um, you know, telling me about their imposter syndrome or whatever it is, um, you know, it's sometimes it's so easy if you have all, you can use the excuse that, you know, we have a lot going on. There's a lot, uh, there's so much going on, but taking the time then to go into their uh, profile, looking at their stuff, getting a gauge of who they are. Um, and then even if it causes you to have to write it down, uh, like their name or something for later as something to just look back on. It's those little things that you do to make sure that you are, you stay genuine because I don't want anyone to think that I um, might've ignored them or anything. Like I'm, I'm be kind is kind of, I'm wearing it right now in the shirt. It's kind of, it's kind of just how I want to be. Um, and there's there you can't have an ego with it and you can't think that you're better than other people to do so uh so a lot of the rules are you know you're no better than anyone so don't shoot someone down you don't know where they've been you don't know what they're dealing with at the time some of the people who i think sometimes write the most kind of egotistical type uh posts are the ones that are hurting the most or and those are not the times to be bringing them down um like the no bullying the um even things like digital blackface is something that I recently started looking into. The types of um, uh, giffies that I use when I'm mm. putting out memes, like making sure that I, I'm very aware of the people of color that I may be, you know, putting out there in this is kind of like very weird way. It's not my place to do so. So it's just, you know, as I, as I learn more about diversity, as I learn more about, you know, who I want to be um, as a brand, I've just really changed um, the way I do it and try to connect one-to-one -one with people. Um, and that means that in a lot of cases, I don't create a lot of content. Um, I don't try to like just create like a, a machine. I wish, I wish I was that person, but with everything that I write, I can tell you, I, I wrote a, a few years ago, I wrote something that I still kind of put out every woman's international, international women's day. And it's about ladies, you need a shine crew. Um, and that thing, I wrote it and it took me like a week to recover from it. it was like, and it's like, not a big, like crazy deep article but it's just when i write something you're you're i'm putting a piece of myself out there same thing with my product same thing with everything so um it's i think it's just i think not everyone can be that way um but i think you can take 
a little bit extra time to make sure that you're putting that on the world. Right now, there's just so much chaos and so much negativity that it really is up to us to change the way we do things. And with Flojo, we have like engaging with different people on Instagram, for example, and just telling them that they're doing great. And so it's kind of like our when we engage with the world, it's just kind of giving positive messages to people. And you can see people get really interested. And it's not about selling a product. It's just about, you know, making people feel seen and heard, I think, is just what Flojo is all about and what I want to be all about uh, in the future. You definitely already are all about <laughs> that. And I can I can say this from the experience of following your work and being inspired of actually building uh, a shine crew along of, with other women modeled after what you talked about. And it's made such a big difference for me. And I recently realized that although this was definitely not the case in the first part of my life, in the past five to 10 years, I've actually grown to have 99% female friends. Uh, and those relationship relationships have deepened and they've grown stronger and they're at a level where I never expected them to be. And I feel like this is such an important step and realization for all of us uh, for reasons that we all know, <laughs> mm -hmm. but that we're now learning to to kind of manage and um, and actually go beyond. So I love everything that you've talked about and. I was actually, the moment you talked about the reactions that you got after your talk and the reactions after you get each time you talk about imposter syndrome and burnout and everything else that you dealt with and, and learned how to manage or overcome, it's, I, I was definitely sure that you'd get very emotional and deep reactions. Uh, and the fact that you take the time to reply to each of those, I think is equally important if not even more than putting out that content because the kind of content that you put out when you do it's evergreen it touches on so many um so many tiny issues so many big ones as well and it gives you a lot to think about for at least half a year <laughs> <laughs> so there's definitely that aspect to your work um which i'm very thankful for and i think all these reminders of self-care um, in social media and generally or wherever you spread them are so incredibly important. Each time I see one, I stop and think about it and it instantly changes my day. And I think that this is especially necessary for people who work in creative roles, which are even more unpredictable than others. Uh, and so the same goes for entrepreneurship, which I see as creative work, even though it involves technology or anything else. Um, so throughout all these connections and all these experiences, um, I was curious because you worked with so many startups when you don't have a direct experience of your ideal customer, which is sometimes a, a long journey for some startups. Um, how do you empathize with them? Where do you start? How do you connect with them on that level? Well, you feel with someone, so in this scenario, you're trying to find your ideal company as an ideal customer as a startup. I think, you know, I, I had this issue with, even with my own foot flojo, where, you know, every time someone would ask me what my target audience is, I would start saying something and they would look at me and go, 
oh no, that's not what I meant. I meant this. And then you, you'd start there with someone else and then they would look at you and go like, no, no, I, I didn't mean like demographics. I meant, you know, you know, what's their behaviors. And it's, and it's really difficult, I think, for startups to even try to figure that out. So I think as you're starting and as you're having conversations with people, um, I think it's really important to put aside what you're trying to sell. Uh, and when you're when you're trying to find who your ideal customer is, like really be problem first, not solution first. Like you're not there to try to sell them. You're trying to sell millions of people later on. You're really sitting there to listen to people, the problems that people are having. Uh, and I found that with when I came up with the self-care bucket list, one of the things that I really had to make sure is that the people that were coming to me were not going to be happy people. Um, there are people who feel really distressed and like the worst thing I could do is be like, Hey, here's a product I want you to buy when, you know, I don't know why they feel bad about themselves. I don't know why. And same thing when you're having a problem as a company and you're a startup, like if you're an accounting software, let's say, and you're walking up to an entrepreneur because you know that an entrepreneur is going to want accounting software, but you start talking to them about how they can fix all these money problems. And then all of a sudden they're going like, I didn't even realize that was a money problem that I would have had. Now I feel dumb. Now I can't even talk. Now I'm watching everything I speak. You've lost, you, maybe you've gained a customer, but you've definitely lost that connection you could have had with them because you've already made them feel kind of dumb. So if you were to come in first and ask them, you know, uh, what, like as an entrepreneur, what have you been doing? How have you been charging people? What is What are the things that you're scared about in five years? Like, what are you, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, tax season's coming up. How, how have you managed? Instead of trying to teach them through this opportunity, really listening to where they're at. And if, you know, in the beginning stages, you know, it's, if they ask you to pitch or maybe you spend the last couple minutes actually telling them what you do, I, I tend to not like to do it right in the beginning. I just say something simple like, it's just accounting software, like, no big deal. Let's go on. I'd rather hear about you. Um, I think that it really helps people to connect with you first. Um, one great example I had about this, um, a few, oh, it's been a long time now, maybe 10 years ago, I, I won this award. Uh, which sounds crazy now, but it was Tech Woman of Canada. And me and 12 women were brought to San Francisco. Um, and I was with a bunch of entrepreneurs. Uh, and, and they had all startups. I was working in a startup. So I was kind of in this unique position where everyone else is pitching. And we're going to pitching meetings. And I have literally nothing to pitch. But in that, I learned this really interesting thing. When I sat with these investors, I started asking them, like, what do they look for? in a company. I was using the time when most people would be like, I'm pitching, I'm pitching, I'm pitching. This is my only chance. I was saying, you know, what do you look for? Like, this is amazing. Like which other, which startups have you been looking at? And they're looking at me like, who, who are you? Like you're, are you wasting my time? I can't even tell. Um, but you know, I got them talking and by the end, and we still had minutes to go. Cause we had like, you know, 10, 15 minutes each by the end of like, I don't even care what you're selling. Like I'm into it if you're if you want to let me know and I'm like oh nothing like I'll let you know someday you know it's just it was such a unique and I don't know I think like even if I I were to you know pitch I don't know if I would be in that kind of calm position where I could do something like that again or have like the balls to to be honest um, but it was such a unique experience to see that you know when you started connecting first 
how it was just a different experience, how people were so willing to give you whatever you needed because uh, they wanted to see you succeed because you saw them and you heard them. So uh, I think that that's important to bring into startups of just like stop trying. You're not going to make a million tomorrow, uh, especially if you don't know your customers. So just be the nice people that people just want to help and want to support. And I think that gets you a lot further. Such a beautiful way to connect everything together. I, I, I couldn't have imagined a, a better fit for all these, for, for actually for just be a nice person to everyone first, <laughs> and then everything will fall, uh, kind of fall into its place eventually. That's what I thought. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's always the simplest things. <laughs> um, that's actually a beautiful, uh, a, a perfect segue for something that I wanted to ask is you work with all So you've worked with so many countless, countless businesses. You've worked with so many different types of people as a consultant, as part of the teams and all these roles. Um, what do they all have in common? I'm very, very curious to know if you choose or you chose your clients uh, based on who you empathize with or and if you actually you know follow your gut when you feel there's that connection or that chemistry that instantly works yeah so i'm not one of those people who will go out of my way to sell someone um if it takes like the way and it sounds it sounds insane um but when a client comes to me and if we actually have a phone call they only get the phone call um and i and i sell a very and i sell a very specific product. If I do consulting, it's an SEO audit. It's the same kind of SEO audit for everyone. They get the same deliverables. Um, it's done really well. I've done it 85 times. I know what I'm doing, bigger, small companies. Um, but if I can't sell you in that 15, 20-minute call, then I'm not going to call back. Like it's, it's either you're in or you're out. And I think that that's like really hard sometimes for consultants to think they think they have to you know, be pitching. And I think that's more, to be honest, I think it's more of a male thing than a female thing. I don't know many females that actually go out. I don't think that we're positioned in a way where we can, because it tends to look a little bit aggressive, but I, I tend to take a little bit more of a, you know what, this is my experience. This is what I sell. If you're in, you're in, if you're out, you're out. And, um, and if it doesn't happen in those 20 minutes, then it's gone. Um, and I've had people who have asked a lot of questions, have been sending a lot of emails. They want to see a lot of examples. And I just, by the, it, like within a couple of seconds, my gut's going like, this is going to be a disaster. And I have learned to just say, you know what? I don't think we're a good fit. Uh, and it sounds like I'm being entitled. And it sounds like I'm being very, like some people don't have that position to be like that, but you have to be because you can't open yourself up for great clients. If you're, kind of running after anything that you can get. And I can tell you the people that I have thought were awful um, in the beginning ended up being awful. Like it wasn't a surprise. If you know, you know in your gut that someone is like, you'll, you'll kind of sense it in your phone uh, on the phone calls um, or they try to sell, oversell you. Uh, that's the other thing. If someone's trying to oversell me on working for them and they're supposed to pay me, I'm going like, what? I don't, I, you are overselling me on something. It means I'm going to do a lot more work, uh, and for a lot less pay than I think. So it's, it's kind of learning those little reactions when it came to me choosing a, where to work full time. It was always about somewhere where I can learn. Uh, I believe in self-learning. I believe in being able to never stop. Like I, 
will probably be this seven year old that goes back to university to take a degree on something. Like I don't, I don't think learning ever stops. And the companies I've been very fortunate to work for have always enjoyed that about me. There are companies out there that don't, there are companies out there that it's just not a good fit. And I felt it in the interview. Um, but there are ones that don't mind that I take a Friday off at work while I'm at work, but just reading uh, everything I possibly can or asking them to take courses or asking them to buy conference videos so I can learn more. I was always that person that was just like, I need a lot of information to be able to make decisions. So I have to keep getting and I read like 65 books a year. So I'm just like, it's constant for me. Uh, so that was really, really important. Also, uh, I worked at companies where especially like when it came to Achievers, uh, Achievers was an employee recognition company. And that's where I learned how to, that's where I found myself, I think, uh, in general, when it came to company, it was a bunch of us, we were all like 28 to 35, um, all working at this company that sold them employee recognition software. So we drank the Kool-Aid, we, we recognized each other on a regular basis. We um, even gave each other cards every day. We had a meeting at 11.51 where music would sound and you would go down to the meeting and you would be hugging people. I remember the first day I started, everyone was hugging each other. And I'm like, what kind of company did I just walk into? <laughs> and then two weeks later, I wasn't even thinking. I just kind of like zombie down there when the music came on. And before I knew it, I was hugging someone and I went, oh my God, I'm one of them now. But I realized that was the type of company I want to work for a company where, you know, your friends are next to you, where you where developers talk to marketers, where, you know, men and women were equal there. I really felt like we were equal uh, for the first time. And so kind of making sure that I made those choices from then on out became really important. So, yeah, it, it was always about working for someone that respects me um, and that I respect and about people who are just, who made it a point to also be kind uh, in what they did. And I think as soon as you feel, if someone was mean or just didn't seem like they believed me or made me try to prove myself, those were the, the actions that I went, you know what, this isn't going to work. And I still keep to that today. And even with my own company, when I'm hiring subcontractors or contractors, if I start getting talked down to, it's like, whoa, I don't need this. Like <laughs> I do the like KonMari method. Like you do not bring me joy. You do not spark joy. I cannot work with you. Um, I think it's important to kind of think that in your head when you're in Absolutely. Those Such an important life rule generally. And something that came up while you were telling me all these situations where you managed to hold your ground so well, which is something that I deeply admire and I think we all need a bit more of that uh, in a very constructive, positive way, simply because building that trust in ourselves, I think, makes us even more generous and more able to give once we know where we stand. Um, I was very, uh, I was kind of wanted to ask you if, where do you see that this challenge comes from for some people who feel empathy but can't practice it? Because sometimes, for example, and I'll I'll be very honest here, I've sometimes uh, felt that a bit overwhelmed um, in terms of being empathetic towards others. And that kind of blocked me sometimes. It kept me from acting. It kept me from giving what I thought I should. I mean, I could see it in my head. It's just that sometimes it was difficult for me to do it because it actually caused me a lot of pain. Uh, and it's only 
quite recently that I actually managed to finally realize that there is a difference between um, empathy and sympathy and empathy being the actually the action, let's say, of feeling with someone uh, and sympathy being feeling sorry for someone, which is a big, big difference. But mm-hmm. how have you found yourself to kind of get over those moments if they happen? Yeah, I have certain situations in my life that it's hard. Um, it's hard for me to see, to have empathy um, more so. And I find that in a lot of those cases, it's because the other a person doesn't. So it's hard for me to, you know, try to like engage with someone who wouldn't try to do the same for me or wouldn't um, have the mutual respect for myself. It's more of like a take, take, take. Uh, there was this uh, kind of example that I had used for someone recently. And, you know, we have, I think, sometimes three different types of relationships we have with people. And let's say, like, I'm a person who's standing in front of you and I'm talking to you. Um, a lot of the time, if I'm if we're in that kind of relationship, uh, I'm being forced to kind of entertain you. And I'm being mm-hmm. forced to work really hard and to... Um, kind of prove myself to you because you're looking right at me and it's kind of like in a very aggressive stance. And a lot of the times when we work, we do that with our bosses. Um, Sometimes in bad relationships, we tend to kind of have that kind of relationship. Um, And then there's the people like our friends who are kind of side by side where, you know, let's say we're walking down the street, we're talking to each other and they're looking ahead, you're looking ahead, but you guys are sharing insights and helping each other and kind of passing the buck back and forth. Um, then there's the people who would stand behind you. And sometimes we think that's really selfish, like having someone stand behind you, but they're there to let you fall. Uh, if you ever needed to fall, they're there to catch you, right? They're the people who are, who are supporting you, who are pushing you. Um, and I think a lot of the time when I judge a person in my head, I think about, is this someone who I am in front of all the time, having to prove myself? Is this someone who I'm side by side and balanced with? Or is this someone that would catch me if I fell? Um, and That is how I decide how much empathy I will give to them. Because a lot of the cases, what I find is when I'm struggling with who the people that I can't seem to find any more empathy for, and it's usually anymore because they drained me. Um, And it's because I've been in that situation where I've had to present myself. I've had to show, uh, constantly be working at trying to get their attention or trying to prove myself to them. And is that really like, is that, is that what this is all about? Like, I can't, I can't keep working to feel, uh, and, and help you and help to understand your thoughts. If you're not doing the same thing for me, or you're not willing to support me. Um, and when I look sometimes at, you know, all the friendships that I have or all the relationships that I have, I really have to take a step to think who are the people who are, especially behind me, because I find that the people who are behind me and who are there to catch me um, may not be getting the same type of support as me uh, as I'm giving to them because I'm so used to them being behind me ready to catch that I'm not, I'm not helping them or being empathetic. I have to make sure that I'm taking them to the side and like helping them. So it's, it's really about, deciding a lot of the times if you don't have anything you don't you probably have depleted it like you've probably gotten to the point where you've used too much attention and they probably don't deserve it at that point um and i think that um that and if it's something where you know you just don't feel empathy for people you don't know and you don't feel uh, empathy for you know maybe the 
people that are supporting uh, different things out in the world right now that you don't support. Um, I would really say you need to take the time to read what, not read what they're saying in anger, but read the types of sources that they're, they're taking things from. Try to understand. Um, one of the things that people think is so crazy is that I always follow Fox News, even though it's something that obviously is like in, in the States, it's like you're either Democratic or Republican. Fox News is very Republican, but I have to be able to see both sides. Um, and especially when big things happen, I'm usually, I have to watch both. Because any one direction makes me feel like I'm not getting the full story. So I try to see both sides and then like a neutral, which is like a PBS or something. And I think that in all cases, if you're in a situation where you can't empathize with someone that you don't know or don't understand where they're coming from, um, it is up to you to really take the time um, to do that work and to see, you know, maybe where is the extreme examples and where's the neutral to better understand, um, what they're saying. Um, because in a lot of cases, people are, a lot of the views sometimes right now in the world, it's just a bunch of people speaking out in fear and speaking out in survival mode because they're just trying to take care of their families and their, and they're doing it. The, everyone's living the best way they can. That's like one of the things about Flojo. It's like, it's all about creating products that help people live the life that they already have, but just better and, and be in the moment. And I, cause everyone's just trying to live their best life, I think. Um, and sometimes it comes out in anger and sometimes it comes out in different ways, but it's really important uh, to see both sides of that. That is so beautifully put. And I, I just kept thinking how, how much your words reminded me of the Stoic principles, uh, mm -hmm. which you managed to somehow capture so beautifully in, in their timeless kind of nature uh, and really kind of embed them into everything that we're doing now and we're feeling now and all these challenges that we're dealing with, which aren't necessarily new, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just that they've become a bit more complex because that's how society evolved. So the the fact that you talked about this practice of hearing both sides, of seeing things kind of like a judge, I guess, but without the intents of judging, but more from a place of curiosity uh, and desire to understand, that, may, that is such a big shift uh, that I hope that we get to make about many of the issues around us, which are so polarizing and can be so so energy consuming at all times. And that's how we get depleted and end up making bad decisions because we've simply exhausted our resources. Um, and there's a lot of emotion and labor that you do with your own company, with uh, other clients that you work with for the community, for yourself. How do you find the energy to support all of this? Well, that's been probably the biggest struggle uh, that I've had is just, I get zapped really quickly sometimes more the more things that I have, the more things that um, kind of take me out emotionally. So it's really about being, giving myself permission to just decide that, you know what, my, I always say like, as an entrepreneur, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs are out there, like we, we, if you've gone from working full time to being an entrepreneur, you still have that 40 hours a week thing stuck in your head where you think you have to work 40 hours a week or it wasn't a successful week or I have like a things to do thing behind my um, head right now in the billboard. And if I don't do all those things to do tasks, then somehow it's, you know, I did not have a good week. Um, 
But what I find is that if I'm doing a lot of things like, you know, like this, like a podcast or like speaking or uh, having to do complex uh, tasks that, you know, it's a complex task is something where you think you're doing one thing and then you realize there's actually 15 things that <laughs> you have to do in order to get there. Um, those things are energy depleting and you have to give yourself the rest necessary on the other end. And, and which means sometimes like I had a really busy day last week. It was, um, it was on a Wednesday and I was out for Thursday and Friday, like just out. It was a whole day of talking and, you know, talking about vulnerability and uh, imposter syndrome and talking and meeting a bunch of new faces and all these things. And I could not even read my emails on Thursday or Friday. And I felt really bad about it. And I, I was kind of, you know, realizing I was without subconscious. Like sometimes like, mm-hmm. if you can't stop your autopilot, you're just saying, what is wrong with me? Like there are all these people that, you know, managed to do this. And then I had to step back and go, my life is very different than other people. Like, which means that I have to play by my own rules. And this was not a 40 hour week this week. This was a do something for eight hours and then rest for 16. Like it was that kind of week. And I just have to say, you know what, next week will be different. And next week I want to get these two or three things done and it will be fine. But it's a lot of talking to yourself in a very uh, compassionate way that gets you out of those. And you have to have your self-talk managed. That is the only way. Like a lot of the people who uh, I know, like my friends, they know that my first thing that I say, if they're kind of talking about something and being like, you know, giving me kind of like the negative self-talk in their head without realizing it's their self-talk, I always ask, is that the story in your head or is it real? Uh, and a lot of the times it's just the story that you've played out. That person doesn't like you or that person thinks you're lazy. Is that you talking? Is that just the story or is that did they actually say it out loud? Um, and knowing the difference is really important. And um, I have a lot of stop gaps, I call them, like reminders in my phone or um, post-its that I have near my computer that are just there if I see it to stop myself and go, what am I thinking about right now? And is it healthy? Um, And I had to do it actually near my TV because I tend to, when I get really overwhelmed, I tend to just lie down on the couch, binge watch and feel really bad about myself as a result. But I had to put a post-it that said, if you're here, you deserve it. And it's just something small. It's right below my TV. And it's just like, you know yourself, you know what you need. Like I'm 36 years old. I understand that, you know, sometimes I just can't go full throttle anymore. Um, But it's about, you know, just saying and talking to yourself like you were a little kid saying, I know, I get it. You do you, you're fine. Um, And being really compassionate with yourself. How did you get here? How did you change the, the this the story inside your head and everything that you were telling yourself? Because negative self self talk is so, I mean, it's so present nowadays. Not only in our heads, but also uh, in the type of banter that we engage in. Sometimes, I mean, self deprecation is everywhere. It throughout more than half of the jokes, and we laugh at them. But deep down, it does something much worse. Uh, it's not as innocuous as laughing might about it might be. So how did you change that? Was there anything specific that you did uh, to to be able to kind of switch this, change this habit, this mental habit? 
so mine, unfortunately, was an extreme example. Like I got sick, like I got so burnt out um, that my stress levels were so high that I got a seizure um, and I almost died. And it wasn't until uh, I, I was like diagnosed with epilepsy at 32 years old. And a lot of it came from just being so past burnout that I didn't even feel the effects anymore. Uh, I had been burnt out for like five years <laughs> and I was working 80 hours a week. I wasn't listening to my body. I was telling myself this is just the way it was. I wasn't sleeping for, you know, months and months at a time. Uh, I was still pushing myself to try to be the best and still thinking that I sucked and was horrible and no one liked me and I was ugly and all these things that was just going through my mind. And eventually my mind just said, you know what? We're done. Like, we're good. And it's like almost like it, I felt like it really like electrocuted my brain to be like, stop, like zapping my brain to be like, you need to stop. And so when I got out of it, I knew I had to change, but I didn't know how. And that was when I met Sabina, who was, it, I'm so lucky that I ended up looking up how to meditate because that was the one thing that um, when you have epilepsy, you can really do to strengthen your brain. It's your brain exercise. And so I found a meditation coach. It ended up being that she was so much more. Uh, and week one was when she sat down with me and she asked me straight up in one sentence, describe how you feel about yourself. And without even thinking, I said, I don't, I don't like myself. And she made me that first week go through and write down everything I was saying to myself in my head and when I saw that list of the, just the meanest things, like I have, and I'm, again, be kind is kind of the way I've always been. I've been always really positive. I would never say that to anyone. Like not even like, I wouldn't even say it out loud to like in a room because I would feel horrible that someone might hear me. But to, to know that I was saying that to myself every day was just such a wake up call that I said, like, I can't do this. Like I'm killing myself by, by this, by this, like, um, I call it like it's diarrhea. It's like diarrhea of the brain. It's just like you're constantly um, being so mean to yourself. And that's a learned behavior. So I worked with her and I've been with her for four years now. And she just helped me rewrite those kind of neuro pathways that was constantly bringing me back to telling me that, you know, I don't look good or whatever. And I, I still get through points where you know, we have to go and start going back to two weeks every two weeks or, you know, just to kind of get through a certain hump. And it's usually when I'm going through something new. If I, you know, I, I hit a success with Flojo. Flojo did really well over Christmas. And for some reason, it brought on imposter syndrome. It brought on all that negative self-talk. You would think that I would be like on top of the world. But immediately it brought me back to when I was doing really well in the startups. And it's like that neural pathway just goes back to feeling like... Mm a bad person again, going back. And so your brain just remembers how you used to get through those times. And so I had to go back and again, work hard at rewriting it and going back to what am I saying in my head? What am I going to say differently? What do I need to work on? And having to do that on a regular basis, I think is really important because um, it takes, it took me years, 15, 20, 25 years to learn that uh, behavior and learn that that, pushes me to work really hard and to succeed. So now I'm going to have to spend 15, 20 years to get out of that and to be the person that I want to be. So I, I would instruct anyone, like you can do the writing of the list and really try and starting meditation and really helping you become more self-aware. But I would try to find someone, 
a coach, a therapist, uh, another person who you don't know, who isn't your friend, who you don't feel bad unloading your problems to. I think that's like the biggest thing because um, if you're, especially if you're highly empathetic, um, me, even sometimes I'll like go to her being like, well, shouldn't I hear about you? Like, shouldn't we talk about you? She's like, no, you pay me to talk about you. Like, <laughs> and, and I need that. I need that or else I will try to help the other person. And so this puts me in a situation where I get to be the most important person in the room. I get to talk about the issues that I'm having um, and we can really focus on it. And I think that's important when you're in that kind of rut. And I hope that the people listening, that if you're feeling burnt out and you're feeling that you're, you know, close or you don't even, you know, you were burnt out, but you don't, you feel a little bit numb to it, then that is the point where you have to talk to someone or you have to change your behavior because something bad could happen. And let me tell you, when that thing happens, it is knowing for me that I almost lost my brain, my most important asset, the thing that I've been working so hard on was so much scarier than having to talk to uh, a therapist or talking to a coach um, to get out of it. So I, I hope that whoever's listening will make a change if they really feel like they need to. I hope so too, because your, your story is so important and I'm so thankful that you shared with us like this and in with such honesty and openness simply because these are things that so so many of us struggle with and just knowing that there's a way out knowing that we're going to have better days and worse days but that overall we are able to make progress and we are able to change all these things given enough patience and enough practice i think that makes all the difference in the world um mm -hmm. and i remember that i i was kind of working through anxiety depression and other things that i've dealt with as well um and my coach told me exactly this that progress will not be linear. It's going to have ups and downs and it's okay to give yourselves uh, those yourself those days. And that was so difficult for me to understand <laughs> because mm -hmm. I was always in a performance mindset where we're going to make progress every day. <laughs> it, it's just that sometimes it doesn't. And I think that this applies not just to our, let's say, emotional challenges, but with anything else that happens in our lives. And that overall, just making progress is a lot more important. Um, it gives us faith and energy to continue, even if we have days that will be very different sometimes one from the other. Um, I wanted to end a bit um, on, on a note that captures so much of your work and kind of your legacy, in my opinion, which was building the Shine Crew and talking about it and giving an example for other women um, in all other industries and communities. It, it doesn't even matter. This model works everywhere. How did this change your perspective on empathy or how did it create new opportunities to manifest it? How did this experience feel for you and how do you see it now as opposed to when it happened? And I know that those are five questions. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try, we'll try, I can do this. Um, so for me, I when I met the first few members of my Shine crew, uh, I was in a really dark spot. I was in the middle of a burnout. I was working for probably the best company I've ever worked for, but felt like I wasn't 
um, able to provide anything. Wasn't I wasn't a culture fit, uh, which was really difficult for me, who was a high performer up until that time, to feel. Uh, and I really started to feel the effects of being a woman in tech as I got higher and noticed that, you know, there was less and less women in the room. Uh, when I started to become director level, all eyes were on me to be, you know, this person that has to inspire everyone um, while still performing, while still doing these things, because I was lucky enough to be there. And I just I felt the weight of that. And so one day I was at a, uh, I was asked to speak for one of the first times. And I was sitting next to Joanna Weeb, who was just my idol like I read everything I bought everything she had ever put out she was a cop like copy hackers was just like this big thing and to be sitting next to her was literally a moment that I'll never forget and instead of just kind of being you know just having small talk I just I felt like it was that time when I had to ask her if she ever felt like she was a fraud um and I thought you know someone who heard that would take it in personally and be like, how dare you? Like, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. uh, but she just, you know, she got what I was trying to say. And I think she kind of read the room, read my look and just said, oh my gosh, all the time. And we started having this conversation and other women started joining the conversation and, um, through the weekend and through the weeks after we started talking about how important it was that, you know, we found women who are in the same place as us, like who are, you know, women that scared us and women that uh, challenged us. And at that time, you know, the women in my Shang crew, they all had their own businesses. I was the only one that was working in a startup. And they were telling me, you got to get out. You got to do this. Like, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you're going to make it. I, you have so much more stuff to do. And you know what? At the beginning, I didn't believe them. But having them there to help me every step of the way made it feel like I that they were standing behind me. They made me feel like I'd fallen. It was okay. Um and so we kind of made up these rules with the, with the Shine Crew and, and rules that kind of broke all the female rules uh, that we had been instructed. We talked about finances with each other. We shared when we were having personal issues that kind of uh, you're not supposed to talk about because you're supposed to be the perfect mother, the perfect wife, the perfect person, the perfect worker. We, we made sure we broke all those rules and just told each other how we felt. Um, and, you know, we had a ringleader. Uh, which happened to be me creating the group. But then that kind of changed over time as the group developed. Um, and so here we are, this group that, you know, I think we're up to maybe eight or nine right now, um, that we've been, you know, it's democratic. We've been very clear about who comes in and it's all people that scare us. So people that we're like, really, you know, like that we all have something to learn from and that we all want to be surprised with when we actually bring them in and you know see how they kind of incorporate because it's a it's weird because it's a good you have to kind of you can't just invite everyone which feels kind of weird you kind of have to bring people that you know you can trust respect and share these really intimate moments with um and with that creating your own shine crew and telling other people about your shine crew then they can create that group so a lot of times it's like it's not some kind of small group that no one could be part of. It's like a group that you can tell others to create for themselves. Uh, so that was the idea of Shine Crew. So I started to kind of tell other people and people seem really interested and wanted their own. Um, and so I started to be more clear of kind of what they were. And over time, I got, I mean, I got to meet you who, you know, you found out about me because you had a Shine Crew, which was it was a moment, I, I will say, when you told me that story, me and you had to do an interview. You had just told me how you were a member of a Shine crew that I had just met in Scotland a couple, a month before. 
and that you had listened to the talk and everything. After that interview, I actually had to walk away with two members of my own shine crew where I just cried because it was like, you don't even realize when you're kind of making, doing this and telling people in your story that, you know, it can mean, it can be, you can create another group of women who can be successful like us, who can do things. And women are taught to be so competitive all the time um, and are, taught that we can't in order to succeed we have to take each other's spots at the table and that's just not the way it is and we have to break that and that shine crew is a great way of doing it and on the other end for men what i found is their version of the shine crew is men who talk about being vulnerable being um how hard it is to be a dad how hard it is to have to the masculine norms that they're kind of stuck in and they're starting to create their own groups with and they're bringing in people who may be um you know people of color that aren't straight that aren't cisgendered like all and they're starting to open their eyes about the different types of groups that they're um allowing and starting to recreate kind of the the conversations that they're having and so it can be for anyone um there's been knitters who've gone together and they just knit and um and knit sweaters for homeless people and then shelters and dogs and amazing things like it doesn't matter what your shine crew is it's just a group of people who have decided that you know what we're going to be here to support each other um through thick and thin through all the problems that we have and we, whatever the common thread is for us, it was entrepreneurs. For others, it could be dads. For others, it could be moms. It could be knitters. It could be whatever it is. But that's that one thing that binds us together. But we're going to follow these rules um, and we're going to be sharing and not allow competitiveness. And, and when it does, to just talk it through, to just be very open about, you know, what this is happening right now. Um, and we've had that in our own shine crew where we've actually had to have open discussions of being like, I'm scared of you. Like, I am actually super scared of you. You intimidate me. I don't know if you like me or not. And, you know, and having those conversations in such a safe environment feels really good. And it feels like we're changing um, the way women speak to each other and the way women act towards each other as a result. And I think going to conferences, and especially when some not all of the Shine crew members are ever there at a certain time, but we always have like maybe two or three. And I think when other women see us and see how supportive we are of each other and how we are like there for each other, no matter what, they see that as an example and want that too. And that makes me feel so like we're, we're doing something. I think that you can change the world um, by in one person at a time. And this is such a great way of doing so. You're absolutely changing the world. You change my world and everyone who's who's in in our shine crew. And I know that I've seen the ripple effects of your work go through and through. And it's it's been wonderful to to be able to learn how to experience this and how to a bit I guess contribute to this incredible cultural shift that you've started. Um, just reminding ourselves about the power of the group and how much we need these types of connections to support us in whatever we want to do because it just amplifies everything that's positive in us and in others as well um it's a form of identity change i guess and one that's very necessary especially for women so again i'm very lucky to have had this conversation with you i wish that we could keep it going <laughs> and we'll definitely keep it going in other ways with other women um that we might share this sort of vulnerable moments um and ch changes transformations doubts and whatever else we may have and especially women 
that will be there with us to celebrate all of the good things in our lives. So thank you so much for this episode. Um, thank you for everything that you do and that you share. And we can't wait to, to see what you do next. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Such amazing questions. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks for exploring empathy and its many nuances with us. If you found it helpful, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Until next time, this is Andra Zaharia, and thank you for listening to the Drag and Drop Show from Banner Snack. Banner Snack.